Acts chapter 23 and verses 11 through 22. Hear the word of God. But the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now there were more than forty who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him, but we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. And the commander took him by the hand, went aside, and asked privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than forty of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath, that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, Tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is relevant to all of the day-by-day issues that we face. I thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that your presence with us is uh, your guarantee of love and of uh, protection and of safety. And Father, I pray that uh, we would have boldness, we would have faith and hope that goes through the veil and finds that uh, confidence that is sure and steadfast as an anchor for our soul. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you have read Adam Smith's famous uh, book on economics, and some of you are probably just as glad that you haven't read it. Uh, It can be a sleeper, but um, a really important book written in 1776 and uh, still studied by economists to this day. And Adam Smith was just stood in awe and amazement at how the laws of economics just work. doesn't matter what country you're in, uh, they just work. And so as he's analyzing how all of the intricacies of, of uh, society's uh, workings happen, he used a description of an invisible hand that is guiding these economic laws. And I want to uh, give you a quick quote from him before I start my sermon, because uh, I, I think this just so marvelously describes the pervasive way in which God uh, controls the affairs of men. He said this, Every individual necessarily labors to render the annual revenue of the society as great as he can. He generally, indeed, neither intends to promote the public interest, nor knows how much he is promoting it. By preferring the support of domestic to that of foreign industry, he intends only his own security, and by directing that industry in such a manner as its produce may be of the greatest value, 
He intends only his own gain. And he is in this, as in many other cases, led by an invisible hand to promote an end which was no part of his intention. Nor is it always the worse for the society that it was no part of it. By pursuing his own interest, he frequently promotes that of the society more effectually than when he really intends to promote it. I've never known much good by those who affected the trade for the public good. And then he goes on to cynically talk about how uh, governments always mess things up when they're trying to fix the economy. And I think that people in Washington, D.C. really need to read this book, however boring it might be. <laughs> uh, but I especially like that phrase, led by an invisible hand to promote an end which was no part of their intention. That's definitely going on in this chapter. Uh, in fact, in chapters 22 and 23, you can see that God has been leading the free actions of men in so many different ways to accomplish His purposes, and they don't have the foggiest notion that God is, His presence is directing their free affairs. And to me, this gives hope and comfort. It means that God's presence uh, is our protection. Now, he protects his interests in our lives as he allows just the right amount of trials, just the right amount of pressures uh, for our holiness. So it won't kill us, you know, and destroy our faith, but it's for our holiness and our growth and just the right amount of the free actions of other people to promote his causes. And uh, these unbelievers, they're not aware that God's involved in their free actions. And many times we believers aren't aware that God is doing this either, but God's invisible hand is there just as surely whether we realize it or not. Now, in verse 11, uh, we have one of those rare times where Jesus becomes visible and uh, very tangible, and He speaks to Paul. We don't know if it's a vision or if it's a literal manifestation. It seems like it's a, a literal manifestation of Himself. And He does it in such a way that you could not help but recognize His presence with Him. It says, "...the following night the Lord stood by Him and said..." When Jesus makes himself visible to Paul, it no doubt had an incredibly powerful impact upon Paul, encouraging him. I know it would have been a great encouragement to me. But I think it's important to realize Jesus was no less present ten minutes before or ten minutes after this visitation. I think it's very important that we realize that this is true. He had promised in the Great Commission, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. He's always present with us. Uh, he uh, promised in Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we ought not to be thinking that the case in America is hopeless. You know, people say, oh, it's the end times and there's no way that, that things are going to be turned around until the second coming. So we ought not to think it's hopeless until Christ physically and tangibly comes back to the earth in the second uh, coming. Um, we, we need to realize that uh, His spiritual presence now is just as powerful, even though it's by an invisible hand. What makes the difference to our comfort is that we recognize His presence. Very important that we recognize uh, His presence. And Christ's words imply that Paul was beginning to doubt it. He was beginning to get fearful and to have doubts about what was happening. And Christ's special manifestation of His presence removed those doubts by reminding Paul he was always with him. Now, we looked at that kind of last uh, week in Colossians chapter 3. It was a sense of Christ's presence that revolutionized my life back in 12th grade. 
And it revolutionized Paul's life in Acts chapter 9 and has revolutionized the lives of many people down, uh, through, uh, down through history. You don't have to see Jesus visibly to be impacted by Him. Uh, uh, I, I think we just need to recognize that He is, is present. And God wants us to walk continually in the awareness of that. Now, the next thing we see is the fruit of recognizing Christ's presence, and that is having encouragement. It says, be of good cheer, Paul. Literally, that is, take courage, Paul. Okay, Be confident, Paul. Uh, commentators point out that the only person who uses this word in the New Testament is the Lord Jesus Christ. And every time that he uses this word, the uh, disciples are terrified about something. And he says, be of good cheer or take courage. It was to, to, to uh, help these disciples to realize there is not a basis for the fears that they are experiencing. It is worthwhile, no matter what the, the stresses you're going through, when you have a sense of God's presence, it will carry you through. Now, last week, some of you have determined, okay, I want to live my life quorum Deo, and I want to encourage you, it is worthwhile to do so. Here's what Hebrews 6.19 says. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Now, too many people see a veil... And they get discouraged because they can't see the Lord. All they can see is the veil. If they don't you know, see God present, they just get very, very discouraged. But faith takes us past that veil into the presence and gives us a hope and an encouragement that is steadfast and uh, sure. Let me read that verse again. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Now, why did God even bother putting up a veil in the Old Testament? Uh, there was the Shekinah glory of God in the temple, but it was hidden from the people by this veil, big curtain hiding. Why did God do that? I think it was because God wanted people to be uh, living by faith and not by sight. And uh, we really grow a whole lot more by having God invisible than we do if He was always visible uh, around us. One of my close friends in an unnamed uh, country <clears throat> told me of a special manifestation of God's presence in his life as the police officers were uh, hitting his feet and stomping on his feet, crushing the bones that were in them. And as they, they stretched out his arms on a pole, uh, he was tied up there and his back was arched to make his back ache, his arms hurt, and he was out there in the freezing rain all night just shivering initially. And he prayed to God and he said it was like God was almost lifting him up and making him warm. And he said it was the weirdest thing. I had a great night's sleep. <laughs> and there was so many ways that he said God's invisible uh, presence was manifested in that prison. He said that uh, he had won actually all of his cellmates to Christ and he wanted to baptize them, but he didn't want to jeopardize of them, and he was trying to strategize, how do I baptize these guys without the uh, guards finding out because they'll be, you know, really severely beaten. But it was uh, almost time for him to get transferred to leave. And he said, you know, let's just go ahead and get baptized right now. And we'll just, I'll take my licks, whatever it, whatever it is. Well, just as they're going to be doing this baptism, the lights went out and the uh, generator that's supposed to come on did not come on. 
and they didn't have their flashlights with them, and uh, so I gave them just a few minutes to get the baptisms done, and they're back in their places when the lights came back on, rejoicing in the fact that God's invisible hand is working even in the things like the generators and the electricity uh, going out. And I think we need to recognize His invisible hand and even the small providences around us. If we do, it will bring encouragement, just like this tangible and audible presence of Jesus did for Paul. The next phrase implies that usually the presence was not seen by Paul. God was behind the veil and Christ was behind the veil for Paul as well. It says, as you have testified for me in Jerusalem. That's past tense. Paul had been testifying for Jesus in Jerusalem. He didn't see Jesus around. And yet the things that he was doing for Jesus, he was doing for Jesus. <laughs> Matthew 25 says, Inasmuch as you have done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. And so there was a, an actual ministry for Christ, even though he didn't maybe uh, physically see Christ there. And then finally, this verse uh, guarantees Paul's outcome. Verse 11 says, So you must also bear witness at Rome. Now that was Paul's dream. He's already for the last two years been saying, I've wanted many times to come to Rome. He's written the book of Romans already, and he's saying over and over, I've wanted to come to Rome. And when Jesus gives these words, what an encouragement that would have been. Now, earlier, he may have wondered, what's going on here? Why is Jesus not answering my prayers? Uh, why is he going to make me die prematurely before I can get to Rome? But when Jesus gives these words, he realizes all of a sudden, oh, now I understand why Jesus has had me arrested. All of these events that they've been going through have been orchestrated by God to get him safely all the way to Rome. And, and uh, I think it was just like, dominoes in his head, all clicking together. And I want you to notice it says, you must also bear witness at Rome. This is not a maybe. Christ's presence guaranteed the outcome, interestingly, without violating anyone's will. And this is the genius of God's invisible hand that made people like Adam Smith just stand back in awe, you know, at how it orchestrates the free actions. of How can it do it? But it does. He says that we don't understand how it works, but it certainly does work. Now, for him, it was just the area of economics. For us, it's in every area of life. And so I believe this really was flooding Paul's heart with joy and hope and confidence. He was going to face all kinds of trials. He's going to have a shipwreck. He's going to have all kinds of difficulties. And yet, the sure knowledge that God was going to accomplish his purposes helped him not to fret. And we too need to have a similar confidence no matter what the ups and downs of the economy, no matter what kinds of crazy things come in the political arena, uh, we need to have a confidence. God's invisible hand is powerfully at work advancing His cause and our good. So we've seen that Christ's presence can be visible or it can be invisible, but it's the recognition of that fact that enables Hebrews 13 to say this, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So over the next few years, I want that to be your testimony. Say, hey, there's no need for me to fear. What can man do to me? God's with me. God's the one who's orchestrating all of these events. Now let's move to Roman numeral two. In Paul's life, Christ's invisible hand could not be thwarted by conspiracies. Look at verse 12. 
And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now that's a pretty uh, serious uh, conspiracy. Um, and if it wasn't for Christ's presence, it would have unnerved Paul. And I've had friends and relatives who have been very unnerved by some of the things that are happening over the past uh, three months. There are conspiracies and rumors of conspiracies circulating all over the place. And it's made some Christians feel like giving up. They just feel helpless. It's like a tidal wave, you know, that's coming of humanism. And, a, and it's not just humanism. There's all kinds of other things as well. In fact, uh, this past week I watched a video by a professor in Kuwait. And I, I'm just amazed these guys can get away with this. But anyway, he's teaching the, all of these students, um, very famous professor, teaching all of these students um, how to get anthrax into the, the key airports, into the key places in Americans and some of the sleeper cells that are out there. People look at stuff like this and they say, well, you know, uh, how in the world are we going to be able to overcome that? And they look at... Um, you know, some of the, uh, the influence of the Zionist movement in the media and in uh, civil government and uh, in international banking. And they fear, hey, Zionism is going to triumph. Or they look at the conspiracies that are being hatched by the Bilderbergers and other um, globalists. And it's very easy to lose heart. But we need to be convinced no conspiracies are a match for King Jesus. Okay? Turn to Psalm 2. I love this psalm. This is a great philosophy uh, on conspiracies that will give you uh, hope and encouragement. Now, it doesn't deny that conspiracies uh, will happen. In fact, it guarantees there's always going to be conspiracies. Satan's minions are going to try to get uh, various powerful people to throw off the bonds of Christ. But take a look at how he words things here. He says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Now the why implies that it's absolutely stupid. It's foolish. It's irrational for people to be doing the kind of things that they're doing in Washington, D.C. He says, why? Why in the world would they even try? And yet in these verses, it guarantees that Satan's minions are going to continue to try all the time to cast off the bonds of Christ. But look at the encouraging words that come after that. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He's basically saying, hey, these conspiracies are futile. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. That's a Jesus being exalted to the right hand of the Father. Okay, he's in heaven. He's behind the veil. He's invisible to us, but his invisible hand is at work nonetheless. Uh, take a look at verse 7. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. <clears throat> Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So this is speaking of Jesus' complete control over world history, bringing redemptive judgments, and it's indicating here all conspiracies will be smashed. None will be successful. And so in verses 10 through 12, 
David warns these conspirators who are trying to throw off the bonds of Christ. He's warning them these words. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. He's saying, yeah, conspiracies will succeed for a little while, but they are ultimately doomed to frustration and failure. And on the other hand, believers are going to be blessed by the Lord. Now, that is an encouraging philosophy on conspiracies. Uh, he's saying here that the Bilderbergers are not going to win. The li liberal media is not going to win. The Obamas of this world are not going to win. Christ will bring all conspiracies to futility and frustration. And he has done that with conspiracy after conspiracy over the last 6,000 years of world history. I'd encourage you to read Gary North's book on conspiracies sometime because it'll give you a great perspective that helps you to avoid the extremes of, on the one hand, ignoring what they're doing because they are a terrible threat to our liberties, and on the other hand, just being paralyzed with fear. Instead, uh, what he'll encourage you to do is to have hope and reason for action. Now, verse 13, it doesn't really matter how many people conspire together in their conspiracies, they still cannot thwart Christ's invisible hand. So back in Acts 23, verse 13, says, now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. That's a lot of people against uh, little old Paul. <laughs> and uh, it would have been easy for him to feel doomed. Now, people today might say, yeah, but it's a lot worse today. He just had 40 conspirators. We've got hundreds of thousands of conspirators out. It really doesn't matter. With God, he can win the battle with few or with many. It really doesn't matter. Nor could Christ's presence be thwarted by the complicity of civil governments and churches in these conspiracies. Verse 14, they came to the chief priests and elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. I've often wondered if they ended up starving to death <laughs> or if they decided, well, I guess we better break our great oath. Uh, one or the other, uh, they were serious about what they were doing, but they could not thwart the invisible hand of Jesus advancing his cause. Now, we've got all kinds of stories circulating around the web, some of which are clearly true, some of which who knows if they're true or not true. Uh, we do know some things that, you know, here's the priests, they're the representing the church and the elders representing the state there. But um, we do know that uh, Harry Knox is a radical homosexual Activist, He's been appointed by Obama to head up the faith-based initiatives and uh, the neighborhood projects. Those have been kind of merged together uh, into, uh, into one. And I think some evangelical churches that have taken uh, money from the Bush administration for the faith-based, they're going to have a wake-up call because there's going to be some strings that are going to be attached to the things that they are doing. Now, I'm not saying this to scare you about the hurtful things that could come to us. I'm here to tell you that conspiracies of civil governments as well of anti-Christ clergy cannot thwart Christ's invisible hand. He knows exactly how to make false theologies come to nothing. He knows how to frustrate conspiracies. Verse 15, Now you therefore, together with the council, that would be the court system, 
suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him, but we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So that was a conspiracy together with the Supreme Court of Israel to try to do Paul in. Have the one world globalists gotten to the Supreme Court? Uh, you know, it, it kind of appears that at least some of them have. But uh, in one sense, it really doesn't matter to people who are in touch with the king of this universe. Amen? Uh, he's the one who was in control. Have there been backroom deals that um, have gone on with the Iowa Supreme Court with regard to the homosexual issue? Who knows? Uh, maybe, may not be. But uh, I do know this, God knows how to make the Hamans of this world way overreach themselves and He knows how to make civil courts like the one here in Israel make a decision that is so bad that it discredits them in the eyes of all Jews forever and of all of the Romans forever once this comes to light. And that can happen with the people who are out here as well. Uh, very, very discredited. Now, that does not mean we should be passive. Uh, we're going to see in the next verses that Paul does everything he can to thwart uh, the conspiracies, and we must as well. We must not be passive. The church of Jesus Christ needs to wake up. We need to be in repentance and prayer. and uh, We need to be active. We need to write letters. We need to use uh, attorneys and bring lawsuits. We need to do everything that is in our means to stop what is happening in our country. But God loves to use the weak things of this world to frustrate the mighty. He loves to do that. And that's exactly what He does in this passage. Let's take a look at the nature of the protection of Christ's invisible hand. Verse 16 gives one of the links in Christ's masterful chain of events. It, says, it speaks of Paul's sister's son. Now, earlier in the book, we saw that Paul's wealthy family likely, very likely, most people assume this, very likely disinherited Paul. And um, we saw that, um, dis well, here we see that despite uh, the fact that he was disinherited, Paul's sister's son had a soft place in his heart for Uncle Paul. And when he just happens to overhear what is being said by these conspirators, he feels compelled to squeal. And God can make sympathetic connections for you as well. Many people fear that Obama is raising up an army of brown shirts uh, to go into every community and to be snitches in the community. And uh, uh, they fear this is a deja vu of what Hitler did with his brown shirts. Whether that's true or not, God can do just like He did in Nazi Germany where there are all kinds of stories of marvelous escapes that people had. Why? Because there were people with sympathies. Now, people say, can God really control the sympathies of an unbeliever? Absolutely, yes, He can. There's no reason to think that He cannot do that. And just as the invisible hand of Adam Smith amazingly enforces the laws of economics, that same invisible hand is moving the church to victory. Verse 16 goes on to say, so when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. We aren't told what motivated him to do so. All we know is a super secret conspiracy got leaked and by divine inspiration we know exactly where the leak came from. But hasn't God been just as kind to us in the last uh, few months? 
I think he's just been very merciful and kind to us in this regard as well. There have been all kinds of leaks that have happened. Let me give you just one example. <clears throat> in fact, uh, if you've read the emails by now, all of you know the conspiracy of the secret um, federal MIAC report in Missouri. I've got a scanned copy of the revised report, which is still really bad. You know, the revised report is... And it shows um, police and other officers how to profile people who might be members of militia groups or other right-wing extremism. And it does actually describe some very scary stuff that's out there. But it lumps those people in with followers of Ron Paul and Chuck Baldwin and Bob Barr. And uh, it profiles people who talk about the dangers of the New World Order, the United Nations, confiscation of arms, or the danger of FEMA camps. It speaks with suspicion of people who, quote, have anger toward the Federal Reserve System, you know, <laughs> or those who believe that we should, quote, not be assigning homeland security functions to an active duty infantry brigade to police our nation. And, quote, many extremists fear that Barack Obama will enact firearms confiscations and have claimed that he does not meet the residency requirements to hold the office of president, unquote. Uh, one paragraph says, right-wing extremism in the United States can be broadly divided into those groups, movements, and adherents that are primarily hate-oriented and those that are mainly anti-government, rejecting federal authority in favor of state or local authority, or rejecting government authority entirely. It may include groups and individuals that are dedicated to a single issue, such as opposition to abortion or immigration. Well, that profiles immediately Minutemen. Some of you are in trouble. <laughs> or other pro-life uh, groups. Uh, what's conspicuously absent is any reference to Islamic terrorist cells around the country and their danger to the nation. They certainly don't mention the danger of, you know, the one-world globalists uh, that uh, are out there. It's a very strange document, and this is the cleaned-up version. Well, thanks to, we're talking about leaks here, thanks to a leaked copy uh, uh, sent by an anonymous state trooper, the report hit the web and it just created outrage. Three presidential candidates who were named in this report wrote a, uh, a letter to the governor saying that, that demanding that their names be expunged from this document and that not be circulated. The governor initially just refused. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to withdraw this document. But after um, hundreds of thousands of emails and phone calls and all kinds of stuff, um, he retracted it, wrote a letter of apology, uh, did a little bit of light editing of the document, but it's still not an adequate uh, editing. And it hasn't stopped some TSA agents from profiling. Uh, for example, Steve uh, Bierfeld, the director of development for Ron Paul's uh, Campaign for Liberty. This guy doesn't even remotely look like a, a terrorist, nor did he do anything illegal, nor was he hiding anything. Um, you're not allowed to take more than $10,000 of cash onto an airplane. Well, he didn't take that much. He only had $4,700 uh, $4, uh, from book sales from the, the recent conference that they had and, and contributions, and he showed them what it was. Ah, oh, man, this is, this is terrible, you know, and they're, they're going after him. Well, fortunately, he just happened uh, to have a cell phone that uh, records conversations, and so he just tapped that, and 80% of the conversation was being recorded, and that got uh, sent onto Fox News, which uh, then went on the, the, the web all over the place, and they could see th these guys are just being 
harassing this guy really for no other reason than that he is a Ron Paul uh, supporter. So God knows how to make leaks happen to the detriment and frustration of conspirators. There is no such thing as a foolproof conspiracy, and those who make world conspiracies all-powerful, all-brilliant, invincible, oh, there's nothing we can do, it is an insult to Almighty God. The conspirators are not on the throne of world history. Jesus Christ is, and I think we need to recognize that. So many conservatives just are paralyzed because they're treating these conspiracies as if they are all-powerful. All you need to do is read through the book of Esther, which I highly recommend that you do from time to time, and you will see God's invisible hand controlling things like insomnia at just the right time, the pride of a public official, a couple of terrorists who are trying to assassinate that, and Christians who overhear it and report that and, and are protecting the government, and uh, an overheard conversation, a forgotten conversation, and other details that are woven together at just the right time. That book shows God's invisible hand powerfully at work in advancing His kingdom and frustrating the cause of Satan. Verse 17, Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. Now, God kept the centurion's curiosity at bay. Uh, he didn't allow this guy to be protecting his superior from nuisances. Uh, he was quite willing to help Paul out. And why not? Those Jews outside have not exactly endeared themselves to the centurion. Who knows? He may have taken a few lumps when he rescued Paul from their hands. And so he's, this may be many different ways in which God made him to be a willing uh, participant. Verse 18, so he took him, brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. The invisible hand makes sure that uh, this commander is not too busy to listen. I can imagine scenarios where it's like, hey, I'm too busy, I cannot mess with this. Some other time, maybe tomorrow I'll listen. But no, he listens. Verse 19, Then the commander took him by the hand, went aside and asked privately, what is it that you have to tell me? I find this verse absolutely fascinating. Consider who it is that this Gentile is touching. He has committed an incredible faux pas in, in Israel, uh, a cultural mistake of huge magnitude because this um, young man is almost certainly a Pharisee of the Pharisees who would never have touched a Gentile. Now, let me just give you a little bit of background so you can understand why I'm saying this. If Paul was a son of a Pharisee, as in the last chapter he said that he was, if he was a Pharisee of a Pharisees, which is like third connection, separation from anything that's defiling within the family or elsewhere, as Galatians says that he was. And if he, his parents were influential enough that he was able to send Paul to the most prestigious rabbi in the world, Gamaliel, and Paul is studying at his feet, we know that this whole family is not only connected, they are strongly Pharisaic. And so it is it is almost impossible to conceive of this um, sister of Paul's not being a Pharisee and her children not being Pharisees. And if they had not trusted Paul's sister, there would, there would be no way they would have been hanging around Paul's sister's family for this son to have been even overhearing this conversation. So the conclusion that people will come to is that 
Uh, Paul's sister uh, probably was part of this family that was so offended with Paul becoming a Christian, they were out to kill Paul himself. And uh, we don't know why this young man has empathies for Paul, but he, uh, he does. Now, let me give you a little bit more detail as to why this would be really offensive uh, for this Gentile to hold him by the hand. Pharisees, when they came back from the marketplace, would sprinkle themselves with waters of purification, lest a fly that had landed on them may have previously landed on a Gentile. There is no way a Pharisee would hold the hand of a Gentile. It would have been repulsive to him. Now, here's the thing. If this young man, for some reason, had showed his revulsion, they wouldn't go into this barracks. They don't go into the houses of Gentiles, okay? So if he had showed his revulsion for this Gentile in any way, withdrawn his hand, the general would not or the commander would not have been as solicitous of him as he was. So how does the invisible hand control that? We don't know. There are so many emotions and opinions and cultural customs and other events that have to line up to make this little detail work. Of course, the revealing of the conspiracy is what's never supposed to happen with secret conspiracies. And yet here, Christ gets the beans spilled quite effortlessly. Verses 20 through 21. And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. This young man gets in there just in the nick of time. The conspiracy is revealed before the commander can make a rash promise. One day later, it wouldn't have mattered if the conspiracy had gotten revealed because it would have been too late. And so the young man, he's precise, he's on time, he's clear, he's convincing, he's courageous. If any of his relatives or the others had seen him going into that barracks and found out that they're going, they would have put two and two together. His own life uh, could have been on the line. And so he speaks and it has its desired effect. Verse 22, So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, Tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. And so here is a clear-thinking civic officer who is going to immediately take action, which we're going to look at next time in the next verses, uh, but you know what? We've got exactly the same things going on today. God can use even the civic officers who are unbelievers, who are Romans, as it were. God has raised up officials in our own government who are outraged this past week uh, at uh, the uh, things that have come out of Homeland Security, uh, the Department of Homeland Security. This past Thursday, I, I read an article saying both the Democrats and the Republicans on this oversight committee for the DHS are really offended that they had to find out about this document on the web. Uh, here's what the document's entitled, and I've got a copy of this much longer document than the MIAC one. Right-winged extremism, current economic and political climate fueling resurgence in radicalization and recruitment. And it's an outrageous mix of... Um, information about homegrown terrorists mixed together with vague references to these people who are always insisting on First, right of, uh, First Amendment rights and Second and Fourth Amendment and Tenth Amendment uh, rights. 
And what it leaves out is almost as outrageous as what it includes. But I suspect that the reason that these congressmen, at least some of the congressmen, are outraged is because they were left out of the loop. We're supposed to be overseeing these guys. How come you guys did not give us this document? So who knows what the motivation's in, but I think they're offended. There's now a government within a government. This is an utterly unaccountable agency that's uh, going off on its own. The point is, clear-thinking civil officers can sometimes be the weak link in a conspiracy's ability to work. And that was definitely true of this Roman commander. And uh, to me, it's just such a great story. I love this story. Great story of escape. And it has such great application for today. I think this passage is a wonderful correction to those who have been paralyzed by the things coming out of Washington, D.C. The presence of conspiracies is no reason to get depressed and to give up hope. Psalm 2 guarantees conspiracies like this. In other words, it's saying, don't be surprised. There's always going to be conspiracies. But Psalm 2 prophesies of the presence of King Jesus as well. He is on his throne. Yes, he is in heaven. He's behind the veil. He's invisible. And yet he is presence, and it is that presence that guarantees the victory. It gives us uh, everything we need to have faith to expect great things from him and to attempt great things for him. So don't be like the ten spies. Be like Joshua and Caleb. Fifteen years ago, I read a fascinating book that was describing the Illuminati, the Bilderbergers, the Trilateral Commission, and other uh, one-world globalist organizations. It also spoke of the amazing and successful attempts of these organizations to take over churches and schools and uh, various civic agencies. It spoke of the steps that uh, they were planning to take uh, for bringing us to a one-world government. You know, by the time I had finished reading that book, I was depressed out of my socks. <laughs> I just felt like, this is so hopeless. This is so inevitable. There is absolutely nothing I can do about it. And that is the state that many evangelicals are in today. They've become passive because they think there's no point in even fighting against this. In my opinion, what that writer was doing is he was discouraging the people, robbing them of faith just like the ten spies were doing. Those ten spies were good spies. They brought back accurate information. But they were looking at those facts from a totally different perspective than Joshua and Caleb were looking at those facts. They did it in a way that robbed people of faith, robbed people of action. And uh, we need faith and action are of the utmost importance in the next months uh, coming up. We can have faith because Jesus has promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against you. He's promised that. And we can have action because His invisible hand is guaranteeing that the loaves and the fishes that we offer up can be multiplied many times over. It's basically a symbol that, yeah, we feel weak. We feel inadequate. We feel like we've got such miserable offerings in order to resist this thing. But He can multiply the loaves and the fishes many times over. But don't any of you dare to give up and despair. Despair is not worthy of a Christian. Instead, Take Christ's words in verse 11 to heart. Despite the conspiracies that are out there, be of good cheer. Take courage. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we can indeed take courage, that we need not despair. We thank You that Your Gospel and Your presence will triumph until the end of the age. 
And we pray that You would not uh, allow this generation to be like the wilderness generation put up on a shelf to wander for 40 years. But Father, instead, You would instill and rise up faith within Your people so that we might be like that people of conquest despite the conspiracies and all of the things that Satan may range against us. May we have a confidence that greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. We bless You, Lord that of the increase of Christ's kingdom and of peace, you have guaranteed that there will be no end. May there be no end of that kingdom within our own lives individually, within this church, within the churches of this nation. And Father, may you be glorified with the loaves and the fishes that we bring to you in faith. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.